show us what you have to say to us in terms of what Rehoboam went through, what he stood for, Jeroboam as well. So, Lord, you open your word to us, and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask that slide to be thrown up here. That uh, I've, I've got one slide for you. And uh, it's uh, a slide that I made, and there it is. And it's low-tech, right? That's what the group of guys watched the way I function with PowerPoint stuff and whiteboards, and they said they called me the low-tech whiteboard guy. So anyway, there you go. Selflessness. Selfishness. When I want to say about selflessness, it means that we don't depend on ourselves. When I talk about selfishness, it means we depend on ourselves. It's all about us. So the original sin that happened in the Garden of Eden the devil comes walking into the garden and he hands the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil to Adam and Eve. And he says what? He says, bite this and you can be like God. And what does he mean by that? He says, bite this and you can be your own God. You don't have to have God run your life. You don't have to depend on God. You can do your own life and your own strength for your own purposes. There's a problem with that. We were never designed to function without God's presence pouring through us. And that is one of the reasons why so many of us struggle. Romans 5 says that when Adam and Eve bit that fruit, he, they cut the relationship between God and humanity. It says that their sin went viral. And it says that even those of us who were born who did not commit the kind of sin Adam and Eve committed, which is what? It was a deliberate sin. They knew better. Even those of us who didn't know any better have been affected by their sin. That means sin is actually you can inherit sin. And so all do. Everybody in this world has been born missing that connection with God. And what God is trying to do is He's trying to get us back into connection with Him because God did not design us to function on, their own, on our own. Who here has seen little babies? Had little babies, right? Little babies are not designed to function outside of their mother's arms. You get what I'm saying? And inside their mother's arms, they eat, they live, they nap, they poop, they pee, they fart, they do all that kind of stuff. But they do it all in the place they're supposed to do it. You get what I'm saying? Because in the mother's arms is all that they need. This is what we're designed for, for God. We are designed to be in connection with God. And so when we step across this line into selfishness, what we step across into is our own resources. Who here has run your own life and your own resources? Pick me. We all have. And God grieves over that. I want you back. I want you to trust me. I want to pour my strength into your, into your power. You know, I had a guy come to this problem, a porn seminar here a little while ago. He was so chained to his porn. In fact, he shared at one of our events just a, a bit ago here this last week. He was so chained to his porn struggle that he was 11 to 14 hours a day on a screen, chained to his porn. And I remember when I talked to him about that, he, said, he looks at me and he says, I don't even want to follow Jesus anymore. I just want my porn. And you know what I loved about his statement? He said this. He said, he, he was just so honest. He was so honest. I said, I love that honesty. Can we give this to Jesus? All right. I love that willingness. You know, who hears all? You don't have to be gung-ho. You have to be willing. We prayed a prayer. Gave him some teaching. He walked out of my office as depressed looking as the day he walked in. I was sort of depressed too. I was going, God, what, didn't you do anything? 
And then he didn't contact me for six, eight months, a year, whatever the heck. Suddenly I get this contact from him. He said, the moment I walked out of your office, I was free. Over the next couple of months, he says, I stepped back into it a couple of times. But each time God called me back and he said, you have to trust me. In that place of trust, we cross that line back to selflessness and we allow God to run our lives. We allow God to be our king and things move forward. This is the great struggle for us. We need to learn how to let God be Lord. Well, let's go to our scripture. So what I want to do is back up. You guys already had uh, David and Solomon uh, preach to you. I just want to just recap a little bit. David, it says, was a man after God's own heart. Uh, And he obeyed, and I'm going to get that slide back up there, if we can. Let's keep that slide up there. Uh, David was a man after God's own heart, okay? Uh, And what, what did that say about David? It didn't mean that he did everything right. But what it did mean is every time God came to him and said, you've gone back to your old ways. Classic example where David crossed the line into selfishness is he's walking the roof of his house and he's scoping out Bathsheba. And he goes, ooh, you know, I always say he's like the earliest record in scripture of uh, Peeping Tom. I don't know where they got that name Peeping Tom from, but apparently there was a guy back way back when called Tom and he did a lot of peeping, right? Anyway, so David is the first Peeping Tom and he gets carried away with all that sort of stuff, feeds into it, goes, gets the woman, sleeps with her, gets her pregnant, and then has to do away with the husband. And God sends a prophet to David, the prophet Nathan, who speaks to him. Nathan, where are you? The prophet Nathan, right? Who speaks to David and confronts him in his sin. And what does David do? He doesn't cover it up. He breaks, he weeps before God, and he says, Lord, forgive me. And he crosses back. He repents. Repentance literally means to turn back from my strength into God's strength. It doesn't just mean stopping what you're doing. Who here has ever tried to stop their sin? That's not what repentance means. It means to turn from, God's, from my strength back to God's strength. That way God can defeat our sin in us. So anyway, that's what David does. He repents. He weeps over it. This is the thing that made David a man after God's own heart. Because every time God cried out to him and said, come back to me, David came back to God. Well, Solomon comes along. Solomon is David's son. Um, Solomon didn't get any, a lot of real good parenting, I'm going to say to you, because David had how many wives and concubines? With that many wives and concubines, you don't do a lot of effective parenting. You get what I'm saying? Anyway, Solomon, he, he started off okay. He started off walking with God, and, and God says, you know, what would you have of me? I'll give you this, this, or this. We heard it preached last week. And Solomon said, I want wisdom. So for a wise guy, he sure turned into a dummy. Bright, used all his wisdom. At some point in time, he he decided, you know what? I can't trust God anymore. So I'm going to start doing this myself. And Solomon began to accumulate wives. So 700 wives, 300 concubines. Is that the correct numbers, roughly, that Solomon had? You guys know why he met? He ended up with so many wives and concubines. I'm going to be blunt with you. It wasn't for the sexual aspect of things. When I was a young teenager reading, this, reading that stuff, that's, that's what I was thinking about. Like, how does he do that, right? It wasn't about that. We cannot think about, about his wives and concubines in that manner. The wives and concubines were a, ma- a way of making contracts. They were a, a way of solidifying treaties with other kingdoms and other leaders. 
That got me thinking about Trudeau. You know what I mean? If Justin Trudeau, and I'm not mocking Justin Trudeau, I know a lot of people run down Justin Trudeau. That's not my aim here on a Sunday morning. But you think about our governmental system. If we use this kind of system, Trudeau would have 2,200 wives by now. You know, okay, we're in negotiations for China. He goes to China, what does he do? He brings back two jets full of new wives. That's what he would be doing if we did what Solomon did. How do you get all these wives and concubines? They're all treaties. That's what he was doing. And when we look at all of those, all of those women, the thing that stands out for me is Solomon, who asked God for all this wisdom. There came a time when he said, you know what, I'm not willing to trust God for the kingdom anymore. I'll do it myself. And he starts marrying all these women, and he starts making all these treaties. And of course, with the women comes their worship of other gods. And God warned against that. When you begin to fragment your worship of me, you're going to begin to fragment the kingdom. Solomon listened to that. He said, no, I'll do it my way. And that's where it says Solomon turned away from God. Well, let's go on to Rehoboam. Rehoboam is Solomon's son. And I'm going to say, too, that Rehoboam didn't have any good uh, parenting going on either. With that many kids and that many wives and all that kind of stuff, uh, Solomon did zero parenting. So who parented uh, Rehoboam? The one who parented Rehoboam was his mother. His mother worshipped idols. She did not worship the one true God. More than that, his mother was in competition you know, when you think back to the story about Jacob and Esau, their mothers were in competition for Isaac's favor over their sons. Well, that was only two wives in competition back in that story. Here we got 700 wives and a whole bunch of concubines all in competition for their sons. So this is how Rehoboam was raised. He was raised in a selfish society. He was trained in power and in control. And so when we look at Rehoboam, that's what we see in him. Selfishness. He lived and reigned on the selfish side of this. He did not live in repentance. He did not live dependent on God's strength. So, what do we, what do we see? Uh, I loved, uh, loved reading, where is it? Page 194 in the story. Any of you who have that there. Rehoboam takes the throne. And he's got something to prove. Who here has ever had something to, something to prove? You know, you got a famous dad or you got a famous mom or you got a famous somebody else and you get pulled into a position and now I have to out-Solomon Solomon. That's what Rehoboam found himself in. He was put in, put in a position where he had to take over the throne and now he has to make his mark. Who here, you know, you've ever done youth with Pastor Dallas around, right? Dallas walks in the room and the whole place falls into order. Dallas walks out the room and the whole place falls apart and you're going like... I gotta, I gotta, I gotta make my mark here, right? Whatever. Uh, there's, there. I better not follow that the illustration any any farther. But anyway, so you know what I'm saying, right? You come in, you gotta make your mark. Well, that's what Rehoboam does, and Rehoboam thinks about what's the best way to do that. So he calls in the old guys, and the old guys. The thing you gotta know about old guys is they've tried all the young guys stuff, and they're they're tired of fighting. So what they do is they actually give. Rehoboam, some pretty good advice. And they basically say this. They basically, basically take him to Matthew 22, 37 to 40. The two great commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. They don't talk so much about that, but the love your neighbor is yourself one. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. So when we love one another, 
we tend to get good responses from the people we love, right? When you love someone, when you have been loved, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking at uh, Stephen or Murph, as they call you now, up here getting all weepy because God has loved him and he's, he's now loving back. There's this response that is generated. When you treat people well, people tend to treat you well. That's the advice Rehoboam gets. They said, carve your own place by loving the people. They will be yours forever. Rehoboam ain't quite that bright, and he wants to make his way his way. So he hauls up the young guys, and the young guys are his friends. And just because you're young, don't, don't get me wrong, guys, I'm not talk, talking negatively about young guys, but these were young, selfish guys. They were spoiled brats. They'd been raised under the power and the control. They had everything handed on a plate. And, and their, their way of doing things was power and manipulation and intimidation. And so what they basically said to Rehoboam, and I love this threat, tell them, Rehoboam, tell the people, my little finger is thicker than my daddy's waist. I've never had that. If somebody gave me that kind of a threat, I'd be going, no, it ain't. What are you talking about? Your little finger is thicker than my daddy's waist. Oh, okay, I get you. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So basically, Rehoboam's going like, you think you had it tough under Solomon? Oh, you're going to have it rough under me. I'm going to milk you dry. Well, it has a bit of a negative uh, response uh, it was generated by that, and everybody reacted badly, and it broke off the kingdom, and the northern 11 tribes, tribes all took off. So at the end of the day, Rehoboam starts with 12 tribes, all the people of Israel, you know, uh, and at the end of the day, he got a cut in pay because 11 of the tribes left. They left because of his selfishness. They left because of his manipulation. They left because of his threats and his intimidation. Uh, you know, it, it was a control thing. I will control you. You will do what I say. And I guess one of the things that, as I think about this, I, I want to fast forward to us. Who here has ever been in a relationship with somebody like that? It tends to backfire, doesn't it? Now, I don't know how many women I've run into have finally left husbands that function the way Rehoboam functioned. Or children that broke away from mothers who functioned the way Rehoboam functioned. This kind of control approach, the threats, the intimidation, the screaming, all that kind of stuff. It backfires on us. And we end up with less than what we could have had. So that's what, you, what comes from Rehoboam. So, so anyway, Rehoboam, uh, he basically reaped what he sowed and he lost the kingdom. So I want to shift to Jeroboam now, because Jeroboam, interestingly enough, God looked at Rehoboam and he looked at Solomon. Now, so, you know, picture God, right? He's looking down on Solomon's family and he sees Rehoboam. Spoiled brat. I can see what's coming. So God says, he's going to lose half the, most of the kingdom. I'm going to give it to Jeroboam. So he promises Jeroboam. Who here, you've ever had a promise from God, like a prophetic word, promise from God, that kind of thing. I've had those kinds of things over my life too. What did you do when you got that word from God? God says to you, I will do this in your life. And what do you start doing? I've got to start making this thing happen, right? I've got to get myself aligned and set up and get into the right career and all that kind of stuff. 
And uh, how, how many of you that worked well? I approached my second church that way. God had spoken some words over my life. I'm going like, yes, this is an opportunity. I'm going to set this thing up and I'm going to walk right into God's plan. Unbeknownst to me is you can't walk into God's plan on your own strength. You know, you think about Moses who led the people out of uh, Egypt. Where did he end up? He ended up sandwiched between the Egyptians and the Red Sea. And at that point in time, what options does he have? To die or to trust? And he trusted. He stayed on the selfless side. Same thing with me. You know, I headed into my second church, and uh, I was pretty proud. And I had a reputation, and um, I was going to do things for God. It took me nine months to burn out. I ended up flat on my back, unemployed, on medication. And I remember after that walking and asking God, God, what, what went wrong? I was actually sort of angry. God, what went wrong? I thought you called me here to do this, this, and this. And I felt like God said, who told you that? Well, in my mind, that's how I interpreted God's call on my life. It would look like this, this, and this. And what God said to me in that moment, what he laid strongly on my heart is he said, I've called you here to learn how to stand in a dark place. Stand what? Stand in him. You know, folks, this is what the walk of life is. This is what the ministry of God is. If God has put a call on your life, if he's given you something, and flat out, it's got to be said, Ephesians 2.10 says God has a call and he's pre-planned good works for each one of us to walk in. Whether you're a family person, whether you're a father or a mother, whether you're a minister, whether you're a whatever, he's pre-planned good works for you to walk in. We all have that call. But it cannot be done by our own strength. Jeroboam was given a promise from God. And the cool thing about the promise was th these promises God gives, God doesn't set anyone up for failure. These promises that God gives are always well-meaning. God's always going, you know, trust me and it will go well. And you know, there are times even as you read some of these stories in the Old Testament where God forecasts that the guy is going to be a disaster case and, and there's going to be Bad things happen, and yet every time they repent and turn back, God relents. I think about Jonah. Who here has read the story about Jonah? So Jonah, right, the Ninevites are utterly evil. We could not describe the amount of evil going on in Nineveh. He sends Jonah there. Jonah doesn't want to go there. God convinces him, you know, pukes him up on a beach. It takes a while. That's probably something for a different sermon. At the end of the day, Jonah goes walking through the town, and he's not doing it dramatically. He's doing it with no heart. He's doing it because he has to. Picking the seaweed out of his ears, right? And all he's doing is going street by street. If you don't repent, you're going to die over and over again. And the results he got was amazing. The whole place repented. That ticks Jonah right off, eh? He turns around and he looks at God. See, I knew you would do this. I knew you were a God that relents from evil. I knew you were a God that forgives. Oh, it drives me nuts. That attitude. Now, for those of you who go to the forgiveness seminar, you know, if that's the attitude you bring, God's going to deal with your heart on that. But that's a lot of us. That's what we want. We want to see the payback happen, right? God is this God that relents. God does not take joy in the destruction of his children. 
And God hates evil because it destroys his children, so God tries to root out, e root out evil. That's what God's doing with Rehoboam. That's what he's doing with Jeroboam. With Jeroboam, he says, I will give you the kingdom. I will give, trust me. And what does Jeroboam start doing? He starts trying to set it all up, right? You think about, you know, being a mother. I will give you these children. Trust me. What do you start doing? Manipulate. Sorry, Allison, I don't mean to be looking at you, right? Um, anyway, we start manipulating. We start trying to make it all happen on our own. And God begins to call us back to repentance. Will you trust me? Jeroboam wouldn't do it. Jeroboam would rather trust himself. So he did what a lot of us do. Who here, you know, you want to do the religious thing. You want to pretend that you follow God, but you don't want God interfering. We live in that kind of a society. That's what we do. You want to talk about idols? We've got idols all over Saskatoon. The cool thing about an idol, and when we talk about this story about Jeroboam, he understood this. Jeroboam says, if I let these people cross the border and go down to Jerusalem and worship the one true God, I'm going to lose them. No, no, God said he would give them to you. You've got to trust God in this. Yeah, but I'm, I'm worried I'm going to lose them. So what does he do? He says, I'll set up my own gods. The cool thing about setting up idols is this. They're powerless. I can run them for my own purposes. And I don't have this God sending people like Nathan to me to confront me on my sins. You know what I mean? Sorry, Nathan. You're just such an awesome guy. That's what Jeroboam did. Set up a bunch of dead idols that he could use to his own ends. Folks, I've tried to use God for my own ends. It don't work. God will... <laughs> I love it. God will continue to confront us. If we insist on setting up those idols, if we insist on reworking God into a form that we want to worship, because it serves our purposes, we will find ourselves very quickly not following the God of heaven. That's what God calls us. He calls us to repent. Repent is always come back to me. Repent is always trust me. Repent is I know what I'm doing. Trust my love for you. Lord, it don't look like you know what you're doing. No, talking with a friend of mine here just a little earlier on. Things are, you know, how, how are you doing? Got some challenges going on in life? Yeah, I got challenges. Yeah, me too. You know, Jesus said this. He says, in this world, you will have difficulty. Walking with Jesus is not about being done with difficulty. It's about trusting him in the midst of the difficulties. The biggest and best and most powerful ministries ever done, ever done are in the midst of difficulties where everything in us wants to go, I'll do it my way. And God says, trust me, I want to use you. Jeroboam couldn't do it. He stayed on the selfish side of things. He changed God so that, for the people so that God could not get involved. And he abandoned what he could have had. You know, I'm reminded of guys like, uh, like Samson. You guys remember the story of Samson? Powerful, powerful judge, had all this power, had this calling. And what does he do? The bulk of the book talking about Samson is about his messing around with Delilah. He had this power and this anointing and this calling. And because he was messing around with Delilah and he ultimately gives her the secret. Any of you guys ever heard of a, a comedian by the name of Tim Hawkins? Go listen to his song on Delilah. You know, talked about, you know, he, he, it, it's a wonderful song, you know. How we got... Uh, 
how, he, how she shaved them clean. Anyway, Samson hands the secret off to Delilah, and Delilah, with less than good intent towards Samson, betrays him, and he ends up with his eyes gouged out, grinding somebody else's corn. Now, at the end of the book, his hair grows back. At the end of the book, he repents. God, use me one more time. And God is faithful to him. But I want you to think about what Samson lost. This is what Jeroboam lost. He had a calling. Because of his selfishness, he lost what he could have experienced in terms of God's power and God's mercy working through him. God does not delight in, in, in destroying his people. You know, punishment. What is punishment? God is not interested in punishing us. The cross was done because of punishment. Jesus took our punishment on the cross. There is no desire in the heart of God to punish us anymore. That's why he came to pay for our sin. So for those of us who expect to be punished for our sins, anyone here? You are going to be sadly disappointed. The problem is, a lot of us, because God won't punish us, we'll punish ourselves. Because it just isn't right. You know, God's logic is different than the devil's logic. The devil's logic and the world's logic says we need to be punished. If God won't punish me, I'll punish myself. I've seen a lot of people live that way. Are you willing to give your right to punishment back to God? Jesus paid for your sins on that cross. 1 John, uh, what is it, 4.18 says this, uh, those who fear are not perfected in love because fear has to do with punishment. Who took our punishment? Jesus took our punishment. Is it God's will to punish? No. There are certain people that they, they will bear the weight of their sins because they demand to do that. But God's heart is to forgive us. God's heart is to restore us. At the end of the day, if Jeroboam or Rehoboam would have said, Father, forgive me, God would have restored them. It was his desire. But in the hardness of their heart, they refused. Well, along came another king. His name was Asa. And Asa was tired of the evil. Guess what? Asa would, had been brought up in the same context that Rehoboam and Jeroboam had been brought up in. You know, one kid with an absentee father in a highly selfish, highly political, highly competitive uh, 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 upbringing. He looked at all the other sons of the kingdom and that are trying to kill him so that he didn't become a king. And he became a king, and he began the process of repenting. He began to come back. I think about a friend of mine that I grew up with when I think about Asa. This friend of mine that I grew up with, his parents had nothing to do with God. His parents um, fought each other nonstop. The father moved into the basement, and it's almost as long as I knew my friend, his father lived in the basement, his mother lived upstairs. And my friend, though, is so interesting. Because my friend was like Asa. Having been brought up in this godless environment, my friend used to come over and knock on our back door. Now, I grew up in a house where my dad did uh, family devotions every night after supper, right? After supper's coming and I'm going like, oh my goodness, right? I didn't fully appreciate it. My friend tended to knock at the door at about 6.30 because he knew that's when family devotions would start. 
And I talk with him now, and he says, Boyd, you have no clue, coming from my background, how much I loved coming to your house for family devotions. That's what Asa was like. Having been raised in a political environment with people who did everything for themselves by their own strength, used, manipulated, lied, all that stuff. Asa was hungry for something else. And he turned back to God. And God poured his mercy back into Israel through Asa. You know, when I think about my friend, it's funny. In our older life, his parents are pretty old now. His, parent, his parents have both come to know Jesus. You know what God requires? You know what God desires? God desires one person through whom he can pour into a family. God desires one person through whom he can pour into a neighborhood. God desires one person sometimes whom he can pour through into a church. I've been in churches that are selfish and angry and fighting each other and ignorant. I've also been in churches where people are loving, they've experienced the touch, touch of God and they want to share that touch. All it takes is one person through whom God can pour his love. So I guess this is what I get from Jeroboam and Rehoboam. I get a guy that was utterly selfish, who took the threats and intimidation control route, lost everything. I get another guy who, again, pretty selfish, had a call, was not willing to trust God for that call, took it on himself. And to do that, he decided to change the worship of the community so that he didn't have to deal with God's interference. And he too lost everything, ultimately. You don't take any of the stuff with you. And then we see one guy who grew up in all that, was hungry for something other than the emptiness that he grew up with. And he said yes to God. And God began to pour his strength and his power back into his chosen people. My brothers and my sisters, this is the heart of God for you and for me. You know, when I do this stuff like this problem of porn teaching, there's no magic to it. I teach people how to invite Jesus into your sin. You guys ever change diapers? My favorite illustration in the world. You ever change diapers? Change the diaper, Romans 5.20 says you've got to open the diaper and expose the mess. Now, if you read Romans 5.20, that's my paraphrase, right? Because it actually, you know, it says the law went that sin might increase, that the grace of God might increase all the more. In other words, you've got to reveal the mess to cleanse the mess. The one thing that I have never done in changing diapers, I never mistake the baby for the poop. Anyone ever do that? No. I was looking through some of our old photos the other day. There's a picture of my wife, and I got this profile shot. She's up against the window, and she's cooing over our oldest son. He's, she, she's, up to her, she's up to her wrists in his diaper, <laughs> and she's cooing over him. And he's laying there on his back, and he's cooing back up at her. And it's just this beautiful, beautiful picture 
This is what gives God's heart great joy. That we would allow him into the place of our sin so that he can do for us what he came to do. So that we don't have to walk by our own strength, by our own manipulations anymore. But so that we can be free. Now there's times God leads you into places where he says, I want to use use you. And you go, Lord, I don't know if I can trust you there. You're going to trust me. You know, think about yourself as a little kid hanging onto your dad's leg. Or if you didn't have a dad, hanging onto your mom's leg. Or if you're like my buddy, spiritually, he hung onto my father's leg. He adopted a father in that sense. You hang on to your heavenly father. God, that's all I can do. He says, that's all I ask. And I will pour myself through you. I would like to pray with you. And I would just like to, what do I want to do? I just want to praise God for this love and this mercy. I want to praise God that he knows how to deal with people who are controlling. I want to praise God that he doesn't hate people who are controlling. I want to praise God for his desire to redeem us. Let's pray together. God Almighty, we come before you to say that we love you. Lord, these stories about Jeroboam and Rehoboam, you've got them in the Bible to show us what just doesn't work. Lord, they are there to teach us, and I thank you that these stories aren't there on their own. But they are attached to stories such as Asa. They are attached by the power of your Spirit to stories that we see of Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus, you said all these Old Testament scriptures somehow point to you, and they do. As you call us to trust you, as you call us to surrender to you, as you call us to give you our burdens... And you say to us, I have not come for, the, for, the, for the, the righteous, but for the sick. I have come for those in need. Father, may you open our hearts. May you reveal us before you as we are, without condemnation. Lord, where we struggle, you have said there will be difficulties in this life, but take joy, take comfort, I have overcome the world. Lord, into the difficulties we invite you. That by the power of the Holy Spirit, we may simply hold to the leg of our Father in heaven. That we may know that we are under your covering. That as my brother read in the Psalm, in 23rd Psalm earlier on today, Lord, in the presence of my enemies, you create a table before me, a place of rest, nourishment, protection. And I will not have to worry about what will happen to me because you will cover me over. Father, we love you. We're hungry for your spirit. We're hungry for what happens when we depend on you. Lord, where we have wandered, seek us out and call us to that repentance that we may again experience your mercy. If we don't know that mercy, Lord, we cannot live in the joy of God. It can't be done by our own strength. And so we seek you, Father. So, Lord, now, as we come to a close in our service, may each of us carry that touch of your Spirit, that message, that before you we stand called, we stand uncondemned, and we stand dependent on you. And so we say we love you. In Jesus' name. 
Those of you as you are before God and you offer him your sin. I want to speak to you in the voice of Jesus. And I want to declare to you the complete and utter forgiveness of all your sins. It is not I who forgive, but I speak with his voice. So Jesus spoke to Peter and he said, Those whom you forgive, their sins are forgiven. So I declare to you the forgiveness of your sins. Come, Lord Holy Spirit, into that place you wash us with your mercy, and your grace, and your power. Bow your hearts now to God and receive his benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for the morning. Bless you. Um, we'll look forward to more. Thank you. I am.